Call our study today, When Christians Go Astray. Got a couple of things I hope to accomplish. One, I want us to look at this and recognize that it can happen. And, and it can happen to any of us. And I want, to, I want us to heed the warnings we find in Scripture about it. Secondly, I want to talk about a proper response when this does happen. Because it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to respond in the right way. So those are just a couple of things that as we go through our study, I hope that, that we can accomplish. We're going to start here in Second Peter 2, verses 20 and 22, 20 through 22. It's not working, Mark. There's a distinction that's really important for us to make to understand what we're talking about today. And the distinction is between an everyday struggle that each one of us have with sin and temptation. And what happens is when we quit struggling, that's when we, it turns into a real problem. It turns into this problem. So there's a distinction between that daily battle and people that quit battling and just give in to the temptation. As Peter talks about that here, he says, For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Do we see what's happened here? A person has been taught the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They responded to the gospel. They became a Christian through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the way that's supposed to work. But then, something bad happened. They allowed themselves to become entangled in the world. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. That's a terrible place to be, isn't it? Are we listening to the warning? Then if they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to the wallowing in the mire. It can happen. And when it happens, it's devastating. It's devastating to family. It's devastating to the church. It's devastating to elders. It's devastating to God. You know, John the Apostle says here in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. The opposite of that is also true. 
Proverbs 17 and verse 21, He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. Proverbs 31, verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Do we stop loving people when they go astray? That's what God's saying here. Ephraim had gone astray. Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. God loved these people. Hadn't forgot about them. Yes, he had been very harsh with them, but his goal was to bring them back. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. God is brokenhearted when his children leave and turn their back on him. We'll get to Proverbs 22.6 here momentarily, but... We need to be careful about this stuff, folks, because when we parent, we are very result-oriented. And we look at our parenting in the view of how successful we've been. And it gets us in trouble. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, the Bible says of Timothy, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. What a great blessing. What a great blessing that Timothy had to be raised in a home that taught him the Scripture. He had known it from a child. Now notice what it says about that Scripture. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture is able to do. But a person can reject that Scripture and say, I don't believe that Scripture. It's able to do it. It's not flawed. God's parenting is not flawed. It's perfect. We know the Scripture gives us everything that we need. And it's able to do what God intended for it to do, but we have to let it. And it ends up being on the individual to accept it or reject it. In Joshua 8 and verse 35... The Bible says there was not a word of all that Moses commanded which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel. He read the whole thing to them. They had it all. They knew what they needed to do. 
with the women, the little ones, and the strangers that were conversing among them. So everybody, they brought everybody together, and Joshua read the whole thing to them. And that's all they needed. They had the information they needed. But they didn't always do it. Was that Moses' fault? Well, Moses wasn't even there. Was it Joshua's fault? Do you see my point? Our parenting is exceedingly important. I'm not trying to diminish the importance of that. But good parenting and proper training does not make our children immune to temptation. And we need to try to look at that from God's perspective. Because God's the perfect parent. And I know Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. That's not an absolute statement, folks, because if it was, that would mean that proper training removes our ability to make choices. And we know that's not right. What we need to do as parents is to teach our children the truth and teach them to, tr to love the truth. But at the end of that, they've got to choose it for themselves. And that's the hardest thing there is. Is to recognize that your child is going to grow up and have to choose for themselves. I, I guess I'm reluctant to use this illustration, but my mother and father have four children, four faithful children. They were flawed parents. Trust me, I know. I, I can tell you exactly how they were flawed as most children can. Perfect parenting does not, is not possible. It's not required. Teach your kids to love the truth. Show your kids how to love the truth. But it won't make them immune to temptation. Because Satan is at work. And he never gets tired. And he never quits. And he never misses an opportunity. As Jesus described the parable of the sower here in, here in Luke chapter 8, He said the seed that fell on the rock are they. When they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, they fall away. See why it's so important to teach your children to love the truth? The temptation is going to come. 
You cannot vaccinate your children against temptation. We've got to learn to deal with it. We've got to resist it. We've got to fight it. We've got to do what Jesus did. Remember the words, the Word of God when we're in that temptation. And we've got to show our kids and teach our kids how to do that. And yes, we do need to protect our children from temptation. I, I, I'm fully on board with that. But we also have to teach our kids how to live in the world and to function. And the devil's going to find them and he's going to tempt them some way. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, it can happen. We can be overtaken in a fault. Notice what he says about that. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one, considering thyself. I don't care how strong you are, how strong you think you are, you're not immune to temptation. And I don't care how good a parenting you had when you were a child, it did not make you immune to temptation. Satan is at work. But we have the tools we need to win this battle. Second Timothy 4 and verse 10. The apostle says, For Demas hath forsaken me. Demas was important to Paul. He helped Paul. Do you think Paul was disappointed when he had to pen those words? Of course he was. Do you think Paul tried to help him? Do you think Paul might have even parented him a little bit? It's on Demas. He loved this present world. So when this happens, what's the proper response for the faithful? And I said in the beginning, it, this is a challenge. And it seems to me like we either want to overreact or underreact. And finding the right balance, finding the place in the middle, if you will, it, it's hard. But it's important that we react in the right way because as I've already said, our goal when people go astray is not to isolate them. It's to bring them back. We want to bring them back, don't we? In Luke 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often 
Would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth her brood under her wings, and ye would not. So here's my first point. You can't make anybody do anything. You can't make anybody do anything. Now some of you with these infants in your arms can make them do a little bit. But that gradually slips away, or quickly slips away actually. So, this is what God wanted. He wanted to gather His people up under His wings. They didn't want to have anything to do with Him. They rejected Him. And that's no fun. But we've got to learn to live with that. And remember, our goal is not to ostracize and belittle. It's to leave the door open and bring people back. And our frustration don't always help us with that. In Luke 18... Verse 29 and 30, Jesus said, As he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house, left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. So one of the things we see sometimes is somebody turns their back on God and walks away from the church and people start following him, them. And that's the point I want to make here is when this, that, this happens to us, to our brother, to our parents, to our spouse, if they turn and walk away from God, don't go with them. You keep doing the right thing. You keep doing the right thing. And Jesus said that you may lose some relationships, but you keep doing the right thing and God's going to reward you for that. Going with somebody that walks away is not the right response. We've got to keep doing the right thing. You know, we hear this phrase all the time, and, and, and I think it's a, the ideas expressed in Scripture, and we're going to look at some of that here. But it's really difficult to do this, because... What the phrase means is that you've got to separate the behavior from the individual. The individual, we're going to continue to love. The behavior, we're going to hate. Remember what Mark Teal taught us last Sunday about 
loving the things God loves and hating the things God hates? It's the same, exact same idea. But we've got to make a separation here between the individual and the behavior. Sinful behavior is never right. I don't care if it's me or my child or my brother. It don't matter who's doing it. Sinful behavior is never right. But we've got to make that separation. If we're going to love the sinner and hate the sin, we have to look at those two things differently. Amos 5 and verse 15, the Bible says, Hate the evil. We're never to hate anybody, but we are to hate evil. Sin, sin's destructive. Sin's going to separate us from God in eternity. So hate the evil, love the good, establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious under the remnant of Joseph. So love the sinner, but hate the sin, right? Romans 12, Paul says, let love be genuine. But, he then says, abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I want you to particularly notice that last phrase. You know, people can turn their back at any point in life and walk away from God. And that is discouraging for all of us. But it shouldn't stop us from praying. Be constant in prayer. Hebrews 1 and verse 9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So we love righteousness and we hate iniquity. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. Now, Ephesians 5 and 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So we, we evaluate these situations, and people are involved in all kinds of wicked and sinful behavior, and we want to love the sinner and hate the sin, Right? What he says here is have no fellowship with the unfruitful works. Now, I mentioned earlier we have a hard time balancing this stuff sometimes. So that's why I'm, I think this distinction I'm wanting to make here is so important. You cannot help somebody 
by going and participating with them in their unrighteous deed. Right? Let's say an individual is having a struggle with drunkenness. Are you going to be able to go to the bar and drink with them and help them? Don't have fellowship with the unfruitful work. That's what's got to, that's what we've got to cut off. Rather, but rather, reprove them. Do we see the point? We reprove the evil deed. We take Scripture and we prove what's wrong with the behavior. It's not my opinion. It's not me judging anybody's motives. It's me looking at behavior in view of what Scripture says. And I believe that's exactly what the Apostle is trying to teach us here. And that is how we can love the sinner and hate the sin. In John 8, verse 10, this is one example where I believe Jesus did this exact thing. This woman was taken in adultery. The Bible says in the very act that there was no disputing what happened here. And there were witnesses to it. Because these witnesses brought her to Jesus and said, Here, what, what do you want us to do with her? The, the law says that we should stone her. And Jesus said, Well, if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. Right? Then in verse 10, it says, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Well, their own conscience convicted them, and they just all left. She was the only one left. Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He loved the sinner, but he hated the sin. He didn't say your sin's okay, go keep doing it. And the way he used the word condemn here is not the way we use the word in modern English. He's talking about the death sentence that the law of Moses required. It required witnesses, and there were no witnesses, so they weren't going to carry out that death sentence. He wasn't saying, I don't condemn you for committing this sin. He loved the sinner, but he hated the sin. So how do we find that, that balance we've been talking about? 
Matthew 13, Jesus teaches this parable, and he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? So what happened here in this parable is that the enemy went and planted a bunch of weed seed in this guy's field. So he had a weedy field. And so the servants say, so you want us to go hoe the weeds out of the field, pull them up, get rid of them. But he said, nay, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together for the first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. <coughs> So, do we see his point here? He says, just let the weeds grow. Because if you go charging in there and start ripping them all up, you're going to pull up the good stuff with the weeds. So that's on one side of the equation. Matthew 5, uh, sorry, James 5. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So, we look at this verse in view of the parable that we just read, and how do we put those two together? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, just leave the sinner there amongst the, the faithful until judgment. Right? Well, that's the way that sounds to me. And that's not what the parable is teaching us. It's teaching us about how we do this. We want to convert sinners from the error of their way. But you can't go charging in aggressively, I guess is the word I'm, I'm going to use there. And accomplish your purpose. You do more harm than good if you're not careful. We need to be talking to people about sin. But we need to be careful about the way we approach it. I know people are sensitive, too sensitive. But we need to be mindful of that and recognize that the way we take the gospel to people is important. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. This is not my nature, people. So I, I know what I'm talking about. I, I tend to identify what I think the problem is and say what I think, right? That don't always help us accomplish our goal. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You remember what I said earlier about you can't make anybody do anything? 
You've got to get the truth in front of people and let God's Word do the work. And I know what Jude 3 says. We're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. And that's where the balance comes in. We've got to earnestly contend for the faith, but do that with balance and with meekness. So when somebody goes astray, and we don't want to give up on people, we want to leave the door open, if you will. We want to bring people back. But we're concerned about the influence, and that's a legitimate concern. Galatians 5 and 9, a little leaveneth, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's a legitimate concern. We need to be aware of that concern. 2 Timothy 3, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. Avoid such people. We do have to limit the influence. We live in a wicked world. We do. That describes our culture right there, doesn't it? So we've got to put some barriers up and put some amount of limitations on the influence the world has on us. But we can't slam the door on the opportunity to teach people as we do that. We can do both. We can do both. There's three other examples in Scripture that are very specific about withdrawing from somebody. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to say about these three different verses, we're not going to look at 1 Corinthians 5. If you're not familiar with that, 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about congregational discipline. There was a, a man that was involved in fornication. It was publicly known. Everybody in the community knew it. And Paul gave them, as a congregation, very specific instructions about how to deal with that. And he gave, him those, gave them those specific instructions with some very specific goals in mind. And they did what he said. And then you can go to 2 Corinthians and you can find the fruit of what they did. But my point here today is that it's congregational discipline. And we have these situations in our families or in our workplace or wherever we think and we try to do that. 
That's taking that out of context. The goal is only going to be accomplished when the congregation does it. That's a very specific situation that re would require congregational discipline. Second Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a command. That ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. That's pretty harsh. But He don't leave us to have to wonder and come to our own conclusion about what walking disorderly is. He tells us what it is. Not after the tradition they received of us, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. He's talking about how to deal with Christians that are lazy and that refuse to work. And if you take that and you make this broad application of disorderly, that's not the way we use the word in modern English. But that's what he's talking about here. And my point is, we have a command to do that. That's not talking about these other issues that come up in life. And to take that and say, well, we've got to withdraw is a misapplication of that Scripture. Same thing here. Different issue. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's a command. And those are the way we're supposed to deal with people that are divisive. But again, that's a very specific issue. Let's not take those things out of their context and uh, try to apply them in these broader issues. We've got to be cautious and remember context. So we're going to conclude our thoughts this morning here in Isaiah 55. Where the prophet says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. We're reminded again this week of the brevity of life. Life is uncertain. And all we can do is be ready. Be ready to go. Because it can happen any time. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. He can be found today. For us. In this time, in this place, you can find the Lord today. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. That's our plea. We want to avoid ever being separated from God. But if it's happened, 
if it's happened to you, our plea, return to the Lord. That's what we want. That's what God wants. And He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. If we can help you today with a sin problem, please come and make that known. If you need to be baptized, if we can help you in any way with a spiritual problem, please come and have a seat on the front while we sing the song of invitation.